Hi friends, Nairi here. A word before the show. Friends, this work is my passion, and it is picking up. Articles, streams, podcast appearances, consults on documentaries, major progress on my manuscripts, and it merits my full attention. A week ago as of this recording, it is now my full-time job. Piecemeal freelance work is unpredictable and infrequent, and book royalties ebb, as they have been recently. That's where you come in. Every little bit that you support here helps support me, keep the lights on, and keep me working for you. We're now at $731 a month on Patreon, with lots of stretch goals ahead. Physical rewards start at $800, but if I got to $2,000 a month, I would be confident in my ability to support myself independently, house, lights on, able to buy needed books, apps, and ad space, and make this my full-time focus. So if you enjoy my work, sign up today, patreon.com slash riversidewings. In a time when historical awareness is vitally critical to issues of current events, civic engagement, and more, your support will help me bring my professional training, plus my passion as someone who started out in fandom before academe, to the masses. So even as we read the novels, watch the movies, play the games, let's round out our appreciation of the real people, ideas, events, and more that go into making them. Let's understand where they fall short and better enjoy them where they soar. History is funnier, messier, Stranger, more interconnected, and yes, gayer than you might have thought. So gather round. Let's explore and enjoy it together. Patreon.com slash Riverside Wings. Thanks for your support. I love you all. Thank you for being the wind beneath my wings. This week on Friday Night History, Emperor Tolbu, Part 1. Why 1868 saw two, yes, two, emperors in Japan. This episode of Friday Night History was recorded before a live Twitch audience at twitch.tv slash riversidewings. Can you hear them cheering? Subscribe to catch future recording sessions, gaming streams, and more. Please also consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash riversidewings. Your support makes this all possible. Salutations, you fantastic denizens of the internet. This is Dr. Nairi A. Bakalian, and you are listening to Friday Night History, your favorite historical romp with your favorite history dyke. Episode 32, Emperor Tolbu. It is an axiomatic fact of history that the Meiji Restoration, can you see my scare quotes there, is named for Emperor Meiji, whose reign began in 1868, Meiji I, the year of his nominal restoration, quote unquote, to power. But what if I told you that there was a rival claimant in 1868, one who went on to fame for entirely different reasons? And the reign name that this claimant reigned under was Taisei. Thus, 1868 was Meiji I, but also Taisei I. So let's back up and let me explain. In Chinese history, the idea of dynastic turnover is not so strange. Because of the mandate of heaven, 
in both Chinese and Japanese, this is a concept. In Japanese, it's pronounced tenmei. This justifies the emperor's rule. This can be gained by a prospective imperial dynasty or lost by a ruling dynasty, and it is what undergirds dynastic turnover in China, what justifies it. But this is not the case in Japan. In Japan, there's only ever been the one dynasty, though this was not without its challenges, especially through the early Heian era. Though, that's a story for another time, perhaps. However, within the Yamato dynasty, there have been rival claimants to the imperial throne. Perhaps the most famous case of this was during the Nambokcho, Northern and Southern Court era, when there was a rival court with rival claimants based at Yoshino, south of Kyoto, one set up in 1333 by Emperor Godaigo, who, after having tried to restore direct imperial rule, was chafing at the control exerted by Ashikaga Takauji, who went on to become the first Nuromachi shogun. A compromise was eventually negotiated by the later shogun, Ashikaga Yoshimitsu in 1392, by which the final southern claimant returned to Kyoto and voluntarily surrendered his claim, thus restoring rule by one line. Interestingly, though, during the American occupation of Japan, there emerged a greengrocer from Nagoya named Kumazawa Hiromichi, who was a rival claimant that came forward to the occupation authorities in September of 1945, calling himself Emperor and claiming the regnal name of Daien. Curiously, he had the documents to prove his descent from the Yoshino court. Tried for les majeste by a Japanese court, the self-proclaimed Kumazawa Emperor was acquitted because, by Japanese law, you can't put the Emperor on trial, thus tacitly recognizing his claim, even if his claim ultimately went nowhere. Long story short, rival claimants to the imperial throne are not unusual or new in Japanese history, which should offer some idea of what happened in 1868 with Prince Yoshihisa, who went on to become Emperor Tobu. He was known by a number of names in life, but in the interest of being consistent, I'm going to call him by this name. It was his adult name on coming of age, and became his name again after the Boshin War. He was born in 1847 in Kyoto, to the family of Prince Fushiminomiya Kunii'e, who was an adopted son of Emperor Kōkaku, the grandfather of Emperor Komei, who reigned when Prince Yoshihisa was born. As with many sons of the imperial line, Prince Yoshihisa, a ninth son, went off to become abbot of one of the major Buddhist temples affiliated with the imperial family. Upon taking the Buddhist tonsure, he took the priestly name Kōgen, the temple in question was the historic monastery of Kaneji in the Ueno district of Edo. This was, and is, it's still there, a Buddhist temple that had a long and close connection not only to the imperial house, but also to the Tokugawa shogun's family. Together with Zojoji in Shiba district, it is one of the Tokugawa family's funerary temples. There was even a branch of Toshogu, the shrine of the deified Tokugawa Ieyasu, on the temple's grounds. The prince would have had a comfortable, if quiet, life as the abbot of Kaneji, 
had circumstances not intervened. In 1868, Abbot Prince Yoshihisa watched as the young Prince Mutsuhito ascended to the imperial throne and became Emperor Meiji, and how, despite a nominal restoration, he was clearly under the control of Satsuma and Choshu and their courtly allies, who had instigated the outbreak of war and were systematically shooting down all attempts at a negotiated peace. Add to that the lack of clear settlement for the ex-shogun's family in the wake of the war's outbreak, and how that angered Tokugawa vassals to the point of armed confrontation around the prince's temple in Ueno in the early summer of 1868, and the prince's displeasure is all the more understandable. But what's especially harrowing to consider is the treatment the abbot prince received when he went to negotiate for peace on behalf of the retired shogun Tokugawa Yoshinobu. Having lost the battles outside Kyoto, Yoshinobu had wasted valuable time and let the initiative pass to the new imperial army, which was hell-bent on conquering Edo and the Kanto region and destroying the Tokugawa clan by force. This is the period in which Oguri Tadamasa, forward-thinking Tokugawa vassal who had been in charge of some of the shogunate's military and political modernization projects, reportedly screamed at Yoshinobu, My lord, what will your cowardice accomplish? In command of those imperial forces was a different imperial prince, Prince Arisugawa no Miya Taruhito. The abbot prince, Yoshihisa, had intended to go to Kyoto, but was instead intercepted at Odawara, not too far west of Edo, and ordered to demilitarize his procession, and so the abbot prince continued to run the gauntlet through swelling numbers of imperial troops the rest of the way to Shizuoka, the castle town where Prince Taruhito set up his command post. These troops on the way were actively hostile to the abbot prince, even sticking bayonets and rifle butts through the screens of his palanquin. But somehow he managed to arrive in Shizuoka safely, where he met with Taruhito and his staff several times, petitioning them for leniency toward Yoshinobu. The conditions for leniency were eventually set as surrender of castles and the Tokugawa navy. And while the abbot prince had meant to continue on to Kyoto, Prince Taruhito ordered him to turn around and return to Edo to deliver the news in person ahead of the imperial army's arrival. Historian Donald Keane is of the opinion that this experience hardened the abbot prince Yoshihisa's resolve to cooperate with those standing against the nascent imperial army, and I am inclined to agree with his assessment here. Abbot prince Yoshihisa returned to Ueno and his temple, and remained there while a new organization, the Shogitai, coalesced in the neighborhood of the temple. Comprised of disaffected Tokugawa retainers who were unhappy about the lack of clear settlement with regard to the Tokugawa family even after the peaceful surrender of Edo Castle, it originally patrolled the city on the ex-shogunate's behalf, but eventually resorted to looting and acts of armed provocation. The Imperial Army, which eventually made it to Edo, was positioned to begin an attack on Ueno, but the abbot prince's presence stayed their hand for a time. While... Ueno fell to open combat at the Battle of Ueno. The prince and his modest monastic entourage fled when they found out that the imperial army was looking for him. Bad news. They chose to leave by boat, boarding one of the shogunate navy warships that gave them passage by sea to the north. 
They fled right into the open arms of the House Date of Sendai and the Northern Alliance it led. The Alliance, which was originally a council aimed at negotiating matters of regional import, had been provoked into open war owing to the escalationism of the Imperial agents sent north. Given that Satcho, Satama and Choshu, had seemingly unbeatable clout due to control of the emperor, with the uncle of the new emperor now in the north, there was a strategic advantage. And so Prince Rinnojinomiya declared himself Emperor Tobu. I say declared himself, but the fact of the matter is I'm not exactly clear on the specifics. Did he do it himself, or was he forced? I don't know for sure. But considering that he took an active role in national politics by his own volition, I think he did so of his own accord. When also considering the harrowing experience of going to negotiate with fellow Prince Taruhito and getting harassed the whole way out and back, and then having had to escape Kaneji on the eve of combat there, I can easily see him feeling justified in taking drastic measures. Word of this bold action and the establishment of a new court in the north did not escape the attention of the international community. And for that, we will pick up the story again next week. I'm Nairi, and this has been Friday Night History. Now, questions? Friday Night History is a weekly historical romp with me, your favorite history dyke, Dr. Nairi A. Bakalian. Our theme is Buga Blue, written by Craig Friedrich, performed by the U.S. Army Blues, and available royalty-free at pixabay.com music. This and more is made possible by listeners like you. To support Friday Night History and the rest of my work, sign up today at patreon.com slash riversidewings, or subscribe at twitch.tv slash riversidewings, and catch gaming streams, historical banter, and episode recordings. You can find my audio fiction and other short work for sale at riversidewings.itch.io, and check out my novel at bit.ly slash ebook. That's gray with an E. That's all for this week of Friday Night History. Next week, the season finale of Friday Night History Season 1 is Emperor Tolbu Part 2. Hope to see you there. And remember, friends, who you are and what lights your fire is worth fighting for. I'll see you around. <laughs>